Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees in the Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I am really happy that you're here today. We're talking about education in ancient India and it's a topic that's very important because we talk about multiculturalism, multiculturalism. But the only two groups that control this multicultural um, narrative in order to, in my opinion, to camouflage their, their um, colonial arrogance and hangover were Christianity and Islam. They controlled it. They promoted their narrative, their cultures, their history, but they made sure that the government who who was bought off, the Indian government that was who was bought off by their lobbies, never ever talked about uh, and degraded um, Indian uh, history, Indian culture, Indian narrative, Vedic narrative, the narrative of our, our, our ancients. And we were told that we were savages. Savages, caste, Dalit, caste, Dalit, caste, Dalit. Um, there was nothing in India, there was nothing on the Indian subcontinent, there was nothing in Hindustan. Uh, we were savages, we worshipped cows, and they kept our knowledge away from us. And even today, um, I have to say under the, the current government, the knowledge of our ancestors, what happened in, in ancient uh, Hindustan, how did, it, how did knowledge travel, how did knowledge uh, was spread, what was the education in, in, in these in these tribes, in these communities, in these kingdoms, uh, compared to the rest of the world, that everyone came here to loot the gold and to benefit of the status quo. They didn't come here because to teach someone else. No one goes to another country to teach someone else. You go to, um, to gain from their knowledge, from their economics. You never go somewhere to teach someone. Uh, that is wrong. You may have a whole lot of diplomas, but you don't have a system to use your human capital, your knowledge, your intelligence means nothing. So I can have a medical degree, but I can't use it. It means nothing. So your medical degree is zero. Someone has to give you the job, the economics, the, the right status quo in order to use your human capital and your intellect. Um, and so everyone came to the Indian subcontinent. Um, and and uh, we had the Indian subcontinent had a massive, vibrant educational society. What was the society? No one will talk about. They only talk about secular, secular, but it's a, it's a uh, synthetic scam to camouflage their colonial arrogance and slowly but surely do away with ancient, uh, with the Vedic uh, civilization and, and camouflage it and replace it with an Abrahamic uh, ignorance. And we started talking about education in India with the Sikh Empire yesterday. Today, I want to I, we continued with education in ancient India, talking about the educational heritage of ancient India, an ecosystem of learning and that was laid to waste. And this slowly came, this slowly came downhill the last uh, thousand, two thousand years, a thousand years we've been on the downhill. I, well, I would say. 2,000 years we've on the downhill, but this last thousand years taken over by these Abrahamic groups, we have completely gone downhill and 
every educational system society has been wiped out systematically so slowly by slowly we've gone downhill and it's been uh, perpetuated by these abrahamic uh, uh, supremacist groups and invaders and uh, it's not been very nice so you have to know what indian uh, education heritage is and you have to spread the news yourselves talk about it uh, um, empower yourself with knowledge, research yourself, and slowly by slowly join the dots. Uh, you can't have the government do everything, you have to do it, go halfway, and slowly by slowly the next generations will uh, become the next gen uh, will become the leaders of tomorrow and will empower uh, new laws, new education system, and we will get back to where we are. So we would, we started talking about education heritage in, in ancient India yesterday. Today we're going to talk about the debating. An interesting, interesting part of education in ancient India. Now, in our system, when I was growing up, uh, there was no debating. Okay, we had a debate, uh, you know, show, I think it was, one debating session in the whole um in the whole year on in, in the main hall but there was it was prescripted so it really didn't mean any debate. You weren't you were not there to to you know um you, you were not there to, to make a real debate like we have today, debate. The debate was prescripted. The, 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 the lecture was prescripted, so it was nothing, it's nothing to do with debates. But in ancient India, debating was an interesting part of the education system. Logic and debate were extremely significant for India's phil philosophical traditions. This love for debate and presentation of arguments from ancient India formed the root of democracy, which was endured even today, uh, right down to the village level. The debates we see on TV channels and legislative bodies are part of a conti continuous uh, uh, system, albeit it's been degraded in a degraded form, going back to a very ancient past. Um, Reference to Tarka Vidya, the science and art of logic and debate, and Vada Vidya, the art of discussion, can be found in innumerable ancient texts such as the Ramayan, Manusamita, Mahabharat, uh, Sakanda Purana, Manusmita, uh, uh, Yajna Valkya Samita, Chanda Yoga Upishad, to name a few. There were countless scholars who wrote books on logic and reasoning, and only a few survived, some in the form of translations in Chinese and Tibetan. The, term, the terminology of debate was well developed to give a flavor in the terms, um, to, give, to give a flavor of the terms, uh, we consider sadhya, thesis is to be established, siddhanta, proposition, tenant or conclusion, uh, hetu, reason, udharna, example, Sadha Harmya, uh, affirmative example, Vaidya Harmya, negative example, Pratyaksha, perception, Anumana, inference, and Pramana, proof. In this book on Indian logic, Satishchandra Vidya Bhushna refers to Maitreya, an eminent teacher, also called as Mirok in Chinese, who lived 900 years after Buddha 
Um, he wrote a treaty on debating on debate, outlining various practices such as choosing the subject of debate, which ought to be useful, not an irrelevant one. Further, he said debate should not be entered into any place randomly, but in presence of scholars or in a parishad, a council. Uh, they lay rules uh, which a candidate's victory or loss could be decided in a debate. They stress that the debaters should be well worth in each other's scriptures, must never dis discard dignity, nor use disrespectful language, must be fearless, must speak um, continuously and intelligently with voice variation that is sometimes slowly and sometimes loudly. Um, even today we talk about, we hear about this, even today we use the same context. So like I say, the labels have changed, but the mentality has not. Because it's not the label that defines the mentality, it's the mentality that defines the label. We, it's exactly the same what we're doing, it's the same currents and waves. So how do you, how to decide a winner of a debate of a subject that occupied many ancient thinkers? Was, um, so there were uh, at least 22 points that could be used to ju by judges to decide a winner in a, in a Tarka Shastra or debate. Uh, dated in the 5th century. Here are some of the points. Um, hurting the proposition, shifting the proposition, opposing the proposition, renouncing the proposition, shifting the reason, shifting the meaning of the topic, as we call today, shifting the goalposts, resorting to meaningless, resorting to unintelligible, uh, becoming incoherent, resorting to inopportunity, saying too little, saying too less, too much, resorting to repetition, resorting to silence, displaying ignorance, displaying non-ingenuity, um, and there are many other ways of deciding where someone wins or loses a debate. But debate was a very important part of our structure in ancient life. If we do, if we debate today, we call it hate speech. Anyone who d debates or d discusses a topic or goes against your opinion it, or the opinion of the orthodoxy, the Islamic uh, orthodoxy, the Christian orthodoxy, anyone goes against it, oh my God, it's the H speech, um, which is disgusting. And this is not Vedic India. This is not Dharma. This is a Dharma. Uh, this is a Dharma. What we live today is a Dharma as in uh, slavery to the to the uh, occupiers according to Zhuan Zhang the monks of Nalanda frequently assemble for discussions to test intellectual capacity uh, those who were able to put forward finer points in philosophy who could give subtle principles their proper place and who and who were ornate in diction were rewarded these universities played a big role in nourishing the spirit of open debate in India Yi Jing, the Chinese traveler of India, who came from Zhuangzhang, mentions the kings were found of organizing of organizing intellectual tournaments in which people with superior knowledge and debating skills were richly rewarded. So intellectual tournaments, do we have that today? I don't know. Nalanda had a famous, well-equipped library with many rare manuscripts. Uh, according to Yi Jing, the library had three buildings uh, called Ratna Sarga, Sagara, Ratna Dadi, Ratna Ranjaka, of which Ratna Sangara, uh, Sangara was nine-storied building that 
stored rare sacred works such as Prajna, Parimita, Sutra. Today we marvel at the imposing libraries housed uh, in, in, in many universities, uh, but this was a time when the Indian subcontinent had the best libraries of the world. Uh, um, there was competition and collaboration between the universities. Um, among the competitors of Nalanda were Vallabhai University of Gujarat, which was famous for its teaching of secular subjects. Students went on to study there from all over the country. Some of them got high positions in graduating. Vikram Shila University was built by King Dharam Pala in an 8th century, again as a river arrival of Nalanda, but it also collaborated with it. Alumni of this university is said to have practically built the culture and, and civilization of Tibet. Uh, the most important of them is Deepankara Sri Ganya. Then there was Mithila, uh, which specialized in logic and specific subjects. According to historian Key, it was, it was so strict in guarding its knowledge that students were not allowed to take any books outside or even copies of lectures. They could only leave with their diplomas and degrees. Uh, there was Mithila University, was, um, which had a rare monopoly and was broken by the Nadia University, which also specialized in logic. Uh, the story... Um, Sorry, the story goes that Vasudeva uh, Swarvabhuma in the 15th century studied in Mithila University, but when he was uh, prevented from copying the text, he committed to memory the whole of the Tattva, Chintami, and the metrical part of the Kusu Manjali. Uh, then in Nadia, he wrote down text he had memorized and founded a new academy of logic. Um, the Nadia University soon outrivaled the Mithila University by producing better scholars. So there was competition between the universities, my friends. Um, there were some, sometimes the best professors of Indian universities were called to settle disputes uh, in other places. Uh, and one record of it is found even in Tibet. Uh, Tibet invited two, king, two Indian scholars uh, to uh, their kingdom to settle their, um, to settle their, um, um, two, Indians, two Indian scholars to, se to settle their disputes. Um, and, and then after, if that was not, that was not settled, they called for someone from Nalanda. Um, and Look, they've got Indian scholars known everywhere in, on the planet. And even today, it's the same. It hasn't changed. Um, so when scientists and astronomers and mathematicians also um, all made a beeline for the Ujjain University, one university that stands out is the, can, uh, for its academic output in astronomy and mathematics is Ujjaini, also called Ujjain, which was equipped with an elaborate observatory and stood on zero meridian of longitude of those times. Had imperialistic uh, Europe not assumed control of the scientific discourse of the world, Ujjain, not Greenwich, would have been today's prime meridian. Brahma Gupta was among the most celebrated astronomers of the Ujjain University, who continued the tradition of 
Varmahira and made significant contributions to mathematics. He worked on trigonometrial formula, quadratic equations, areas of cyclic quadrilateral arithmetic, progressive and improved Aryabhata's nine sign tables. Uh, in his treatise, he was the first to treat zero as a number in his own right rather than simply as a placeholder. Uh, he established the basic mathematical rules for dealing with zero, such as one plus zero equal one, one minus zero is equal to one, and one into zero is zero. Uh, Gupta's works reached the court of Khalifa al-Mansur in Baghdad and playing a part-breaking role in making Arabs conversant with Indian astronomy and mathematics. Later, his knowledge was transmitted to Europe. So we always talk, uh, the Arabs talk, the Islamic uh, civilization, talk, oh, well, we invented this, we invented that, we are the great civilization of knowledge. But in Baghdad, we created the city of Baghdad. Well, where was Baghdad? Baghdad is, was actually part of the uh, Persian Empire, and it was actually the city of Setesfion. Um, so Setesfion was a, a city, an ancient a city of full of knowledge, a center of trade, uh, and it was part of the Persian Empire. And we know the Persians were very uh, into education, knowledge, spreading of knowledge. And the Persian Empire was very much uh, invaded part of India, Gandhara, uh, which is now Afghanistan, became part of the Persian Empire, and a lot of its scholars were on the Indian subcontinent. Um, for knowledge, so it was nothing great that Baghdad uh, continued it, but because this, they, they invaded the city of Satestran because of its knowledge and its history and its heritage, not because it was nothing to invade, a, to in, in, involve a city out of nothing. And that was, my dear friend, uh, only one side of it. The other side, the scholars went from the Indian subcontinent um, and uh, they, they translated many a text of the Indian subcontinent into, um, into Arabic and, and Persian and Aramaic, which was the language of the times. Uh, and that's how the uh, Islamic empire gained its knowledge, not from, not from um, prior, not from uh, God, but from prior civilizations who shared their knowledge with them in order uh, to continue, because sharing knowledge was the most important thing of ancient times. It was worth more than gold. If you had gold but no knowledge was not worth it, having knowledge brought you the biggest honor possible. So the traditions of Brahma Gupta was continued by Bhaskara, uh, Bhaskara II, who also is called Bhaskacharya, who became head of the astronomical observatory of Ujjain. He wrote the famous... Um, Siddhanta Asironomi and Lilavati in the New World Encyclopedia. J.J. Um, Connor and E.F. Robinson are quoted to have said in their paper for the School of Mathematics and Statistics uh, that Bhaskaracharya reached an understanding of, a num of number systems and solving equations which was not to be achieved in Europe for several centuries. He was hailed as the first mathematician to write a work with full systematic use of the decimal number system. 
Bhaskaracharya is considered as the founder of differential calculus, who applied it centuries before Newton and Leibniz. He too was had a profound impact on Islamic mathematics. So the Islamic world got their mathematics from the Indian subcontinent and from the people of the Gupta era and their descendants. And without these people, uh, Islam would not have any mathematics. So when they say Islam says they started algebra and science, they did not. They colonized area which already had that and all they did was translated their text. Um, so that was, um, that was the few universities. There was specialization and uh, in ancient universities too. Um, very important, they had universities which specialized. A student who completed basic education in ancient India and wished to learn more had a, a number of institutions to choose from depending on what he wanted to uh, specialize. Vedas, logic, uh, medicine, sciences, classical music or any other subject. Thus a student who wanted to learn classical music could for instance move to Varanasi and learn from the maestros in the city's ancient college of music. He, if he found a friend keen on studying in Varanasi's College of Astronomy, then perhaps the two could travel together. Traveling was a risky proposition in those days when land was covered with forest, abounding in predators, and uh, parents would celebrate when their children returned home after four to twelve years of education. Uh, Fa Hien took six years to travel out of China uh, to central India in a full journey full of dangers and hardships. Um, and a journey to learn from the masters inspired many Chinese, uh, such as Zhuang Zhang, to follow suit. India was called the Yin, Yin Su by the Chinese, which means moon, uh, because according to Huan Zhang, it was on, the only country which illuminated the darkness into which the world had fallen after the passing of Buddha by provision, providing a, suc a succession of learned sages. Uh, there seems to be remarkable mobility of students and teachers across universities in ancient India. Thus, we find professors in Nalanda such as uh, Sritamati and Gunamati, who had earlier established the Wallabai University in the West, the Nanga and Dharampala, the two famous scholars of Nalanda, were both natives of the south. Uh, we had other professors who hailed from Kashmir, uh, today called Kashmir. Um, Zhuan Zhang himself, after finishing studies in Nalanda, went on to teach in Orissa upon re receiving a directive from King Harsha. The famous Bhaskara II, hailed by some as the greatest mathematician ever, uh, taught at Eugenie but hailed from Bijapur in the south. Uh, many of the people uh, of your traveled centers excellence in their areas of interest. In Kata, uh, Sarit Sagara, there is a reference to a Brahmin who decided not uh, to send his son for further studies to Nalanda or Varanasi, which was closer to his place, um, and residence in the Ganga uh, plains. Um, Wallabai graduates, the Wallabai University graduates known to secure employment in government services, um, had courses in political science, Niti, business, Varta, uh, were well known along religious studies in Hinayan Buddhism. 
so this is how it, it, it worked. Just bear with me for a minute here. Sorry about that, my kettle was on the fire. Um, so you understand when I always say currents and waves, you're currents and waves. We move, we are a, a revolving planet, we are revolving cosmos, we are revolving currents and waves. We never say stable. So in ancient India, people would study in universities, uh, uh, four years, six years, 12 years, and they would go to another university to gain more knowledge or to uh, or to work or to teach. So they would teach at one side and they would study the other side so they could pay for their for their stay and their education. And at the same time, they would share the knowledge which they got in previous universities. So this was normal for people to go about uh, rotating from university to university, teaching and studying. And this was not only on the Indian subcontinent, this was all over the world. So universities, there were no barriers, there were no boundaries, there were no uh, kingdoms, uh, or we say, you know, we need a passport to go from here to there. Uh, going from one place to the other place to study, to share knowledge was normal uh, and we still do it today. People go from one side of the world to the other side of the world to study, to, to teach. It's, it's very, very important and to understand that this continued because we are currents and waves. The waves keep rolling and sharing of knowledge was the most important thing, was the most honorable thing. Knowledge, knowledge, knowledge was shared and people moved from one side of the world as the currents took them, they moved and they moved and they went from one university to the other. And so a lot of times uh, Islam will say, um, oh, uh, we went and we created this university and the oldest university and, and Baghdad was the center of the world and people came to Baghdad to study because it was so great. No, it, it was not because people, it was, people went there to study. Sharing in knowledge, moving from one journey to one angle to the other, one university to the other, was um, a part of life. It was uh, accepted and done in the ancient world and people kept on moving uh, to share knowledge. This was common, very, very, very common. And in order to uh, uh, supersede everyone and promote themselves as the supremacist's greatest time and greatest thing and God gave them, which is absolutely wrong. Uh, they, they have uh, characterized it as Baghdad was the best place in the world because God gave us the knowledge and the university and, and uh, the studies and we, we shared it with the world, uh, we took it to the corners of the world and that's why Europe got knowledge and Europe got sciences and Europe got this, but that's a flat earth mentality, it never works like that. We are currents and waves, we are always moving. And the world did not start in 622. So it's very important for you to understand this process. Uh, we have never changed. We've always kept moving. And um, uh, professors and people of knowledge were the um, people of uh, nomadic, should I say, people who went from one university to the other in order to learn and to teach and to uh, gain more knowledge uh, at the same time. So. Funding for these universities, uh, funding for higher education was very important. An interesting aspect about education system was that it was subsidized for pupils and teachers by ruling kings as well as communities that lived around universities. 
The Nalanda University was described by Huan Zhang as having been endowed with buildings and land by ruling kings of the time. He also mentioned revenue that revenues of 100 villages were allocated for meeting the expenses of the university. The students and teachers received clothes, food, bedding, and medicine free of cost. However, according to the Jataka, students who wished to study at Takshila were required to either pay tuition fees at the beginning if they lacked cash or pay in the form of services to the teacher, such as bringing firewood. Most Brahmin students were too poor uh, to pay upfront and would opt to carry menial tasks. Some would, would get permission to pay at the end of their studies, and there were instances of the Brahmin students soliciting financial uh, assistance from households. We also hear of some winning state scholarship uh, that not being required to pay any fees. Often families living around these universities would generous, generously host meals uh, at their residences for students. There was a well-established ecosystem to support learning since the ethos of the time demanded that Brahmin scholars lead a simple life engaged in the pursuit of knowledge uh, without amassing riches. It fell upon the shoulders of wealthy non-Brahmin families as well as humble farmers to support those who were devoting their entire life to teaching and learning. Um, given the ancient uh, Vedic, um, Vedic people attached so much value to learning, it would, not, it would not come as a surprise that they had made a, a meaningful rite of passage to mark graduation of the students, um, called Sama Vaktana or Sanna. In the presence of students, teachers, and invited guests, the graduating student would offer his uh, his guru dakshina, gift to the guru, after which the guru would recite the sanataka dharma from the taitariya upanishad, upanishad, sorry, and this would be followed by the homa and the sanna, that means a fire ritual and a ceremonial bath. The Sanataka Dharma recitation from Sh uh, Shiksha Vali in the Taitriya Upanishad was an important ritual of the graduation ceremony. Um, so that is very, very important. So the funding was there. Uh, the, the graduation ceremony is also performed, very important uh, part of ancient universities. We still do it till today, not, not like the ancient times, but it's important to know this. Please study this, research this. It's important to know how ancient India worked in its universities. Now, uh, we'll talk about a little about temple universities. Uh, an interesting aspect about ancient Indian temples is that it often... Uh, they became centers of knowledge and disseminating debate uh, and debate. So today we look at temples, we go to pray. But in the ancient days, all these temples were village schools, guru schools, places of knowledge. Every single temple was a place of knowledge and learning, which was all destroyed little by little by little. Um, there were continuity of learning with conferences and assemblies of learned scholars that have been mentioned in the Rig Veda itself for disseminating the philosophies that were the core Vedic literature. Well-endowed temples became magnets attracting students and teachers, which led to annexes being built uh, for the temples and even entire colonies housing intellectuals from various variety of disciples.
Multiple inscriptions of several temples of southern India reveal the extent to which higher education got institutionalized. Enayiram is one such location in Tamil Nadu which abounds in inscriptions giving minute details related to the subjects taught, number of students, endowments, and so on. For example, an inscription from the time of Chan Rajinder Chola lays out the endowment giving for the boarding and tuition of 340 students studying at Vedic colleges. The college received 45 Vedis or 300 acres of land. Uh, each student of the Vedas was noted to have cost six Nalis per paddy per day um, and half Kalanju of gold per year. Uh, so there were meal allowances given to teachers um, and, and the inscription notes that 75 students were studying Rig Veda, 75 Yajur Veda, 10 Atharva Veda, uh, 20 Chandoga Saman, 20 uh, Talavakara uh, Saman and on and on and on goes. Um, many inscriptions have been found um, uh, many inscriptions have been found in basements of temples in Tamil Nadu describing how uh, Vedic temples were seats of knowledge and learning. So every time you see a temple, you know that it's not a temple just to pray and put money there. The temple was a seat of learning. It was what you call the, the Islam calls this, um, Islam calls this, uh, um, I forgot the word now. Oh my goodness. Um, madrasas. Well, where were these madrasas formed? These madrasas were all formed by breaking down the temples. All the temples were then converted to mosques. And these mosques had built uh, madrasas at the side. Or they used existing uh, uh, sites for madrasas. But how did they just build this? How did they get this knowledge from? Because the ancient world before them was already doing this. These temples in the ancient world were centers of knowledge and disseminating knowledge, whether in on the Indian subcontinent, whether in Europe, whether in, in Africa, whether even in Arabia, uh, the Jewish world, they were all centers of knowledge and each one taught their own knowledge and similarly on, on the Indian subcontinent. Even medical care students were accounted for. Inscriptions describe colleges which attached hospitals and Hostels. One hospital is described to have 15 beds, a physician, a surgeon, two errand boys, and two nurses. It was even equipped with a pharmacy with medicines such as um, Hari Taki, Vajra Kalpa, Kalyanalvana, a sprawling temple university called Kantaloshala existed in the region of present-day Tiruvantapuram, which was supported by the Chola rulers. The university had been called the Nalanda of the South by some, a Prakrit work titled Kuvalayamala, written by a traveling Jain monk from Rajasthan in the 8th centuries, um, mentions wide range of subjects were taught, Vedas, grammar, philosophy, um, uh, martial arts, music, painting, and in its spread of subject, it certainly rivals Nalanda. Students were noted to come from regions of Lata, Karnataka, Malvaya, Kanu, uh, Kubja, uh, Maharashtra, Saurashtra, Taka, Andhra, Saidava. Going by the punishments, they have been mentioned in inscriptions for varying 
um, arms in classrooms or wounding a classmate or using filthy language. It would appear as if it was disciplining school uh, students had always been a challenge for educational institutions across millennia. Um, there was a, a renowned temple university in the Pakistan-occupied Kashmir, but in pre-Islamic periods, the region was synonymous with Shraddha University, named after Saraswati, the goddess of learning, also Shraddha. Thousands of devotees uh, visited the temple dedicated to Shraddha, while scholars were additionally interested in, in accessing ancient texts on grammar and philosophy that were preserved here. Ramanuja, the reverend, uh, the revered proponent of Vishva Advaita School of Philosophy, traveled all the way from Tamil Nadu to Kashmir in order to refer uh, to the only available manuscript of the Buddhayana Vritti, the earliest commentary on the Brahma Sutras, before he wrote the acclaimed Sri Basya. Adi Shankaracharya is noted to have acquired the title of Jagat Guru only after he had answered all questions posed to him by the scholars of the Shraddha Temple University in Pakistan-occupied Kashmir. Um, another important reference to Kashmir comes from, um, gosh, these are tongue-twisting words, Prabha Vakacharita, which mentions the Jain scholar uh, Hema Chandra being commissioned to write a new grammar book uh, by the king of Gujarat um, and all this for the Shrad library of the Shraddha University. There are other academies also of excellence, not just temple universities. So apart from temples, there were Gatikas, the Agraha the, and the Matha. Uh, Gatikas were groups of learned Acharyas which carried out deep discussions on Vedic matters. Gatikas are said to have played a key part in making Kanchipuram a hub of Vedic studies. The key, the, uh, they even played a pivotal role in the selection of kings. Numerous poets, scholars and saints, philosophers who produced the finest Tamil literary works are associated with Kanchi. As we have seen earlier, some of the brightest went on to teach in the famed universities in the parts of India. So we have Gatikas, that means groups of learned Acharyas existed in the past. We have Agra, uh, Agraharas, were campuses of learned Brahmins which with their own rules of governance and funded by generous donors, usually non-Brahmins. Mattas also were educational institutions and along with Agras, serve like modern academies of excellence. Um, many inscriptions in southern India's talks of revenues of villages being entirely allocated to supporting the Agraharas with Brahmin scholars, sometimes numbering 108, sometimes 308. The revenues were used in supporting the sacred task of learning and teaching, were called, um, which included building libraries called as Saraswati Bandara, learned Brahmins who often held titles such as Chaturvedan, uh, Chatur Trivedan, um, which denoted specialization in particular text, uh, and they existed in, in ancient India. 
In ancient Mysore, had number of Ag Agraharas and Mathas. In the third century, a king of the Kadamba dynasty invited 32 Brahmin families from northern India to settle in the Agrahara near Talanguda. In, um, and Talanguda was a famous center of learning for eight centuries. We come to the, the Kerala school of mathematics. Um, it's important to highlight the contribution of the Kerala School of Mathematics and Astronomy uh, in the context of Indian systems of advanced learning. Situated in the geographical area of Trishur in Kerala, a rich tradition of mathematics developed and flourished among the Nambu Diri Brahmins. They discovered the infinite series which laid the foundation of calculus centuries before Newton. There's a strong circumstantial evidence that Jesuit priests who visited India in the 15th century uh, took back the mathematical concepts from Kerala to Europe. Um, the brilliant scholars of Kerala were believed to be mainly motivated by the mysteries of astronomy. Um, and we also have books written uh, of like the non-European roots of mathematics and the argument mathematics seems to have been reveled in their love for mathematicians, non-European, seems to have reveled in their love for pure mathematics. Um, yes, effectively. Um, you have someone like Madhwa, the founder of the Kerala school, indulged in long and tedious calculations of sign tables to 12 decimal places. Famous names associated with Kerala school, um, oh, these are too long to go through. Uh, industrial and vocational training. Uh, so we have vocational training today, industrial training, and it is not new. It existed in the ancient world. So by from reminiscence of Sanskrit, Pali, and Prakrit literature, it's possible to get some idea of industrial and educational training in ancient India. Practical education in arts, crafts, industries, and vocations followed by separate stream were highly influenced by rituals and practice of generational general education. These vocations were open to all Varnas. Uh, the medical treaty Shushruta Samhita describes a separate uh, Upayana ceremony for medical students. Military science was called Dhanurveda, and during the Upayana, a student would ceremoniously receive a weapon to, accompany, to the accompaniments of the mantras. In cases of a Brahmin, it was a bow. The Kshatriya would receive a sword, the Vaishya a lance, and the Sudra a mace. Ayurvedic students were expected to have knowledge of arts such as cookery. Uh, since diet was an important aspect of treatment, they were also required to travel extensively and to know where to collect herbs. While all students were taught general medicine, they were also required to specialize in any of the eight limbs of Ayurveda, namely internal medicine, surgery, eye, ear, nose, gynecology, obstetrics, pediatrics, psychology, toxicology, regeneration, and virilization. The Ayurvedic uh, physician's oath at the end of the training is a long list of rules of conduct uh, that a physician must follow including not demanding money from a poor patient. 
The oath was administered in a formal ceremony where, where the king gave the permission to a doctor to, to practice his profession, after which the doctor could call himself a vaidya. One who knows. Going by the antiquity of the Ayurveda, it is possible that the oath was borrowed from the Charaka Samhita. The exact duration of the medical courses is not known, but it might have been long as eight years. When Jivaka went home after seven years of study at Takshila, his professor was not too pleased about it. Uh, a learning of a trade, a craft, meant that a student had to live with his teacher for a period, uh, for a predecided period of training after taking permission from his parents. A master was required to treat his apprentice on his own, like his own son. At the end of this period, stipulated period, the apprentice mastered the craft and he would take leave from his teacher uh, after giving him a gift according to his means. By staying with the teacher, uh, a student imbibed not only just a trade, but values and protocols and minute aspects of workmanship. In the Jatakas, there's 16 arts or sippas, but in most ancient works such as Ramayana, the Mahabhasya, uh, the Dasa, Kur Kumara Charita, Kama Sutra, the Kadambari, and others, there's reference to 64 Kalas, or arts and crafts being taught to students. Apart from various forms of music, dance, culture, trade, included agricultural sciences, metallurgy, armor making, architecture, charioting, charioting, stonework, leatherworking, carpentry, shipbuilding, rope making. The range of subjects that were taught is meticulously detailed and is simply mind boggling. Even linguistics, pedagog pedagogics. Uh, science of teaching, humor, hasya, formed an art department by itself. Unlike the Brahmins who were not expected to accumulate wealth but to be custodians of knowledge, uh, especially of the philo philosophical and scientific disciplines, there were no such restrictions on artisans and skilled persons following different vocations. The community and family uh, uh, networks related to each vocation uh, helped in giving job security and informal credit as a result to which entrepreneurs were able to generate considerable wealth for their communities. Until the 18th century, India, along with China, was the world's most dominant economic entity. The development uh, of uh, social, economic, religious clusters all over India contributed to the employment and exports. The clusters were often self-funded and consisted of relationships-based uh, businesses with unwritten rules. Risk sharing was the norm and failures were not looked down upon. So remember that in ancient India, risk sharing was a norm and failures were not looked down upon. Over the centuries, as clusters developed, entrepreneurs established schools, college, and common facilities such as marriage halls. There's also education for women in ancient India for those who are too Abraham, uh, Abrahamically colonized. It is important for you to know this. Education for women in ancient India. was Education was an important part for women, uh, place for women as it was for men in ancient India. Saraswati has been depicted as the goddess of learning, speech, music, and eloquence, not just in India, 
but wherever India, Indian culture left its imprint, such as Japan, Thailand, Cambodia, Myanmar, and Indonesia. Knowledge begot respect. Men and women of learning were respected wherever they went. The Upayana ceremony was performed for women too. The Rig Veda con contains many verses composed of women, such as the Vishvavara, Sikata, Nivavari, Gosha, Romasa, Lo Lopa Mudra, Apala, and Urvashi. Husband and wife were required to jointly perform yagnas, and many shoklas were required to be recited by the wife. Some yagnas were performed by women, even without the presence of men. In the Ramayana, Queen Kausalya performs a yagna by herself on the eve of Rama's appointment as the heir apparent. She is re revered, uh, referred to as the Mantravid, one who is well-versed with Vedic mantras. And going by the rigor attached to the learning and chanting of the Vedas, it's clear that the women were very much part of the learning culture. Women teachers were called Upadayas. Um, so basically... Um, in the ancient world, um, a marriage, um, uh, sorry, a woman had little chance to find a good husband if she was not well educated as a brahmacharini. In fact, a marriage hymn hopes the, the wife would shine as a good speaker in assemblies. A likely age for marriage was 16 or 17, 17 years since child marriage was not a norm during the Vedic period. While most uh, women could settle down to life of domestic duties after marriage, some women, some women called Brahma Vadinis would marry late after devoting more years to study um, and not marry at all. Uh, there are many examples of the same. Uh, there was reference to co-education is found in Sanskrit. Um, yeah, many, many co, uh, co places of co-education. Ancient Indians loved debate tournaments in the Briha Dharana Yanka Upanishad. There is reference to a philosophical debate held in the court of King Janaka in which there is an exchange between the lady philosopher uh, and the Rishi, which is credited with important text. Um, so, yes, there were many, many debates. In the Mauryan period, there existed a special category of super-talented, highly educated, extraordinarily women, extraordinarily women called Ganikas, who enjoyed social respect and were esteemed by kings and nobles. They were not required to marry and had the freedom to choose their lovers. Poets sang songs on these charms and, and talents, labeled as Nitya Sumangali. These ladies were considered auspicious and were very and were even required to bless the Mangal Sutra before it was tied around the bride's neck. Ganikas were government servants and received salaries, and they were used by kings in matters of related diplomacy, espionage, and other important functions. After Buddha began to allow women to be uh, be be Sukhanis and serve in his monasteries, it led to many women from aristocratic and commercial communities to take up life of celibacy and become preachers. 
Among the nuns from rich families uh, were Sumida, Anupama, Subha. Many of the nuns distinguished themselves by spreading the message of Buddha to far-off lands. Um, so there was also female education in aristocratic and cultured families. Um, and we've got a lot of text and, and proof of this. Uh, plenty, plenty, plenty. The famous scientist mathematician Bhaskaracharya of the 12th century is said to have written the Lilavati Treaty on Arithmetic, um, uh, progressions, geometry, uh, permutations, and indeterminate equations for his daughter named Lilavati. Um, the mathematical problems were set for her to solve. She must certainly have a, been a bright woman. Um, so we see that in ancient India there was a lot of women. Unlike today when women from middle class incomes families have uh, access to contraceptive, sanitary napkins, household gadgets, and communication devices to enable them to participate in various spheres of economic and political activity. Women of yesteryears had many limitations which confined them to uh, certain aspects of society. Uh, but ancient India witnessed many princesses and queens taking a keen interest in administration of the kingdoms, and their education fully equipped them to even fight in the battlefield if necessary. Several queens from Kashmir fought in the battlefields as described in the Ratna Rajanta Ragini. Uh, Nayanika of the Andhra dynasty, uh, the, you had uh, the Vakata dynasty, the Chalukya queens, and the ladies such as Mild Devi, uh, and plenty of Devis around here, took active part in governance. Um, during the Islamic invasion and their rule, unfortunately, the seclusion or se segregation of women began to increase, and from the social standing of ladies, deteriorated. So, um, Islamic uh, invasion brought about the segregation of women, and before that, my friend, there was also another in inflow of people uh, into the Indian subcontinent. Remember, the Indian subcontinent was very rich. The Jews, the Jewish people, the Abrahamic people, the um, Aramaic people also segregated their women because they believed that uh, they did not believe in the in the unity of sexes. Um, so we have a lot of us, as I mentioned before, have ancestors who were uh, Jewish or belong to the Hebrew kingdom, um, Hebrew tribes, and they maintained their status quo of segregation of sexes. So it would have started with them and then went down into the Islamic invasion of India. Uh, female education declined drastically in the eyes of AA marriage reduced. Even styles of dressing of Hindu women became more conservative and limiting in order to protect them from oppressors. By the time the British began the rule of India, it would appear that except for Kerala, there were many instances of girls going to school, uh, women in the rest of India were mostly homebound and received limited or no education at all. Uh, so that is, my friend, a little bit of the educational heritage of India. I'm going to stop here because we've already talked for 54 minutes. I thank you for your time. I hope you would buy the book on, uh, um, on Amazon, uh, Educational Heritage of India. And, uh, yes, effectively, um, 
I will continue tomorrow because there's a lot to learn about our education heritage. It's important that you, uh, you research this, share this, talk about this with your neighbors, your social uh, media groups, your teachers, about educational heritage in ancient India. We need to spread the, edu uh, the word because we've only been told as we as India is, okay, well, India is a uh, caste, India is Dalit. That's the only thing that they use for us. And there is one uh, person on the internet, uh, which I read, uh, the Modi is fascist, the RSS is fascist, they're Hindu extremists, and it's enough that India, uh, people no longer believe in them because people are, are tired of, of, of worshipping cows and, and, and penises. That's what one... one um, ignorant person uh, who, who tried to write on the internet about uh, Modi and I was reading his comments and I was like my god if you only knew and that's how I, I came about talking about this educational uh, heritage of ancient India so it's important for you to spread this information person to person talk about this read the books do your research it's very 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 important thank you so much for your time I really appreciate this and stay safe everyone.